Welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode number 26, Marriage, What Is It Good For? Yeah. Good job. <laughs> it was just me, all alone. Doing well, the that's okay. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, well, we'll take it We'll take it again uh, later. Anyway, <laughs> this is Lori Krieg. I am here with my husband, Matt, and producer, Steve, and we have a guest, another guest. We're doing guest on guest on guest yeah. uh, with Dr. Branson Parlor. Welcome. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. We're so glad to have you. You are a professor at Kuiper College. You're also a pastor. You write some things. What? What's your... what? Why are you here? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I'm here. Well, I, <laughs> we just you know, randomly grabbed him. Yeah, I love, um, I, I love thinking, especially about the topic of marriage, sexuality, uh, family, especially in a, a context where I think a lot of times Christians uh, maybe have some views that that they've kind of received but haven't really thought through well. And yeah. so it's um, for me, I love being a professor, mm-hmm. being in a college classroom where you can really engage people who are asking big questions uh, and willing to kind of dive in and, and take a go at things. Love it. And uh, he, you are professor of what at Kuiper? Yeah, my, t- my official title is Professor of Theological Studies at Kuiper College uh, here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, and my other title is Director of Faith Formation at Fourth Reformed Church here in Northeast Grand Rapids. That's great. And whenever I talk to students who go to Kuiper and I mention you, they're always like, oh, I love him. He's my favorite or one of my favorites, depending on if we have other Kuiper profs who come in here, they yeah. will also be. But no, I really do hear that a lot. <laughs> also, you have a, do you know you have a Hollywood name? Like, Is that true? You sound that... like a famous, your name sounds mm. like a famous person. Okay. Branson mm. Parlor. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I don't think I've ever heard that before. What? So I'll, I'll. I'm pretty sure I'll you were it. actually a character on the OC. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that, that could be. It does sound, uh, you know, I guess if I ever get a bestseller, then it will just yeah. sound natural. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was supposed to write that. I was yeah. supposed to be, mm-hmm. supposed to be there. <laughs> I think so. I think you were named for it. So yeah, we're talking, we're continuing our conversation about marriage and sexuality. And I want to ask you some of the difficult questions that have been rambling around in my mind and I hope represent a lot of the millennial and not millennial, uh, millennial, <laughs> pre-millennial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. Theologians yeah, that's good. do it, eh, right? That's good. Okay. Very good. Uh, Millennium I, Falcon. Yeah. <gasps> Whoa. Okay. Now Just, that could be a whole oh, other yeah. tangent. We're going to get along. Yeah. <laughs> I have a no. feeling this is going to be a, a healthy podcast. Yeah. Marriage. Yeah. That actually came up at the dinner table. My eight-year-old was talking eschatology somehow. I don't know. And then my six-year-old piped in with uh, Millennium Falcon, right? That's the frame of reference. So that's why I'm... uh, You just go with it. Yeah, you do. All right. Well, we are going to start out. uh, We always have three sections. If you're a new listener to the podcast, we do the question of the week, which we posed last week. Then we go to Goofball Island, which is uh, when we take a vacation from our problems. This is intentionally adding strangeness into this podcast because it can be way too serious. And then the last piece is the heart of the matter, where, again, I'm going to be asking all the millennial Millennium Falcon questions yeah. about marriage. <clears throat> so the question of the week from last week, which uh, really wasn't, I keep mixing these up because I'll post a question from last week and then I'm like, no, that's more goofball Island than it mm. is question of the week. So I just made this one up based on the feedback from last week, which was on friendship and on when you're walking through trauma. Um, but I just wanted to know from y'all here, what is a characteristic that you really look for when you're looking for friends? Like we all have this filter going on in our head and what's one character quality or characteristic that you really look for? I can answer that one real quick. I, I had a, a knee jerk reaction to say sports, 
Um, <laughs> character quality I love. Is <laughs> the character <laughs> quality that is imperative. But then I realized, no, it's actually a little deeper than that. It's just nerdiness about something. Okay. I, I feel mm. like when it comes to conversation with people, I need to have the ability to nerd out with you in some way, whether it's sports, whether it's um, video games or movies or, or something, there has to be some sort of nerd quality. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if I can like throw Ryan under the bus here. One of our good friends, Ryan is, is a woodworker. And even that oh, no. is like nerdy enough for me. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> just be excited about something. <laughs> Love it. That's good. Uh, I would say there is the component that I think you're kind of getting at that, um, that my friend gets me, you know, it's just uh-huh. kind of like a intangible, like we just get each other. But, yes. uh, I would say even probably more important for that, uh, humility. Mm. I know when somebody's just like full of themselves all the yeah. time, you know, that's just yes. hard to get along with. Yeah. So humility and honesty and honesty in the sense of not just like, I don't lie, but like, yeah. I'm honest about life. Like this is how it is. And sometimes there is a, you know, can be a sense of humor about that. You know, like we're just like, Oh man. Yeah. And sometimes it is, hey, here's what is going on. And it's like, I get you. Yep, that sucks or whatever. You know, there's mm-hmm. just like a level of honesty and authenticity, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of I resonate with the nerdiness answer because I think about people who, you know, just like somebody who likes books. Mm. There's going to be an immediate connection there. But maybe because of that, then sometimes I'm looking for somebody who can balance out that kind of, you know, that side of me that would rather just like sit away from people and read books. Mm. And so somebody who's, yeah, I think that's part of what initially drew me to my wife is here's somebody who is outgoing, somebody who's joyful, not, not that I'm not joyful, but has just this tangible presence uh, that I look at and, and think, man, that's something that uh, in some ways I don't have so much. And so it resonates with me um, when somebody does. Mm. She's Tigger to your Eeyore. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, I don't have kids and yeah. read yeah. Winnie the Pooh every night. Yeah, yes, that, I do. That, that makes total sense. Um, I was thinking about what is my number one filter, and this has changed over the years. But honestly, the theology of sexuality thing is giant for me, especially if I'm looking for close friends. Because if you are completely opposed to what I believe, uh, it's going to be hard because this conversation, there's nothing that like blinds conversation like, oh, you don't believe it's okay to just live out who you are. Um, That it's like you can't, it's very hard to get past it for some people. And so it also, for me, it helps me to feel safe. So it's kind of like a big safety thing. Like if I know if I'm having a rough day or a rough week or a rough year that you're going to stick with me and really push me, exhort me toward God. So that has become my number one filter. Hmm. So I, I'm happy to be friends with people, but as far as close friendships, um, that's a big one for me. Okay, got real serious there. Uh, let's go to Goofball Island. I don't know, Steve, how you're going to find the sound for this one, but the Dumb and Dumber dog van. Jumping mm. over the hill in the road. Sounds <laughs> great. Uh, but we are taking that Dumb and Dumber vehicle uh, to talk about pets. And we talked about friendship. So what is what was your pet friend, which some people call them fur babies and fur children. Man, mm. I've seen people walk around with like, the baby carriers with a dog and I am trying my best not to laugh, but come on, there's a puppy baby. Anyway, we still love you if you listen and do that. But what's your tragic pet story? Because you know, all the pets die, but what's maybe a happy piece of it that probably in sad, let's be honest. 
Yeah, I was thinking about this in terms, you know, the point you just made, just realizing, especially reading kids books, I mean, that is how every story about a pet ends, like whether it's Old Yeller or I think we're listening on a family vacation to where the red fern grows. Mm. And so we're driving in the minivan and the whole family's just weeping uh, at the end. Um, All dogs go to heaven. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. they're all dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my wife is going to make fun of me for this, but, you know, when I was a kid, I always talk about our dog Sporty. Oh, Sporty, you know, was she was a great dog. Uh, we got her um, from I, I don't I don't know where because the internet didn't exist then. Somehow we found out about this dog and uh, we took her home. And then a couple of of weeks later, you know, my dad asks, "Is is this dog you know fixed and everything?" And a couple of weeks later, he's going out in the evening to to go do something at church, and and he's like, you know, get out here. The dog is having babies, <laughs> uh, and so our allegedly fixed dog was in fact pregnant with. Wow. Uh, seven babies at the time. So that was a, uh, uh, but Sporty was a good dog for years and years. And eventually, I, I think because she knew she was going to die, she ran away. Oh, at least that's our theory to, to, to make it easier. With yeah. air quotes. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Oh, so sporty. she was, she was gone. That's wow. Sweet. Uh, growing up, we did not have dogs because I was allergic and my sisters wanted a cat oh. and my dad hates cats. <laughs> And I had a friend who was a farmer, and I would often go spend the weekend up, you know, with Tom and his family. And they had cats. They had, you know, because that their job was to take care of the mice. They weren't really pets. They were, you know, workers on the farm. <laughs> and uh, so my family came to pick me up after one weekend up with uh, Tom and his family. And the cat, one of their cats, had had kittens. And the kittens were at that age where they're ready for their own family. And this kitten found my dad and wouldn't leave him alone. Like, yeah. And, and something in him temporarily softened and he's like, okay, we can take one. And so we got this gray cat and named her Smokey and she had to live in the basement. We had like, (laughs) not a finished basement. It was like, she's not allowed in the rest of the house. (gasps) And at some point she also had a litter of kittens. Wow, man. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. It's true. We're talking about sexuality and marriage. Right. But there were a couple summers my dad uh, taught um, summer school at a college like in Florida. And so we spent the summer in Florida. We had uh, one of his students, uh, where we lived in Pennsylvania, kind of house sit. And she lost Smokey. We oh, no. came home, yeah, and was like, Where, "How's Smokey?" Yeah, she she left, she went <gasps> away. We and we never saw her again. And maybe it was a similar scenario where she knew her time was she, close. She met up and, with Sporty. Yeah, that's, yeah right, that's right. Right. She and Sporty are yeah having fun. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I was a big giant pet loving nerd growing mm. up, and we did not have any because again, I have to always say this, but twelve kids and there's twelve owners of this puppy. I've got 11 siblings. And so they tended, anytime we'd uh, have animals in our house, they'd go a little crazy because we had enough chaos. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but uh, we did, I had, I was so obsessed with animals and dogs. I remember eighth grade, I think, at, for sure in junior high, I had a picture of a dog and I would like pretend train it. And like I, at school, I was like kind of like a cool kid, but at home I was like, I sure do love animals. And so when we moved from eighth grade to ninth grade, my we, we moved and my mom 
finally she's like, okay, Lori, we'll get you a dog. And so I finally got my dog when I was a sophomore in high school. And again, at school, I was a cool kid. And then I get home and I would like work this dog. I would train her. I would take her out and wake up at 530 in the morning. And like, I was so obsessed with this dog. And <laughs> we had her until we had Matt and I had our first daughter and same smoky and, and sporty in the mountains. It was a, seriously, Gwen was a month old. And then Belle was like, okay, I'll let you have your own children now. And then she just died. <laughs> well, she had an aneurysm and then we had to take her to the vet. See, it's terrible. Yeah, no, we had to put her to sleep. It yes, was, but was she tragic. was couldn't even walk or anything. But yeah. it was like an overnight, well, in that month. And over 31 nights. Yes. It was, it was, okay. it was tragic, though. <laughs> um, so I, I'll be honest, I, I'm... I'm having a hard time with this because we're on Goofball Island and I'm like, I want to tell good pet stories, yeah. not just that all of them get dead. Oh. <laughs> but um, So anyway, I, growing up, the first, the first pet that I remember was this dog named Blitz. Um, His last name is Krieg, yeah. also my oh, last so, name. So Blitz, Krieg. So, I, I, I was rather young. I had no idea what that meant, huh. but... Um, it was an it was an apt name for Blitz, um, and there was one time when we had just we had moved to Ohio, so I was probably like six or seven years old, and he had a, a special bark for snakes, um, and he's doing this bark, and so the family, my mom, my brother, and I all run outside, and he has this big black snake that's like up against the fence, and he's like getting it, and it's like lashing out at him, but then eventually he gets it by the head. Starts shaking it around. Are we sure that Blitz isn't a mongoose? <laughs> he, he's not a mongoose. Oh, okay. He okay. was he was half black lab, half Doberman. Man. Um, so he was big. Yeah. Um, and he was also mean. And aptly named. And aptly named. Blitz Creek. <laughs> and so, yeah, he was lightning anyway. Um, <laughs> he gets the snake, and my mom hates snakes more than anything. I mean, and she's a small small woman. And anyway, she sees him get the snake and he starts whipping it around back and forth and she takes off running and he lets go of the snake. It literally lands on my mom's shoulders. No. And me and my brother are sitting there like dying laughing oh, no. because here this big black snake. I mean, it's, it's harmless. It's like a corn snake or oh. something, mm. but it's like this big black snake lands directly on my like five foot two mom's shoulders. Whoa. And she just freaks out. And then Blitz got angry and tried to bite my arm off. And then he then got he put died. to sleep. And then the uh, other. <laughs> See? Oh, all of them. All dogs. It's okay. so sad. Though, I don't know if Blitz is in heaven, honestly. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> he was working for the other. Though, side. I mean, I guess categorically, our stories all have the same end. Yeah. I have to say, yours is the best story. Yeah. Well, yours is. had That's the good. best beginning and middle. Yeah, yeah. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. It was a competition. <laughs> oh, good. We're into the sports here. <laughs> Oh, my word. All right. Well, thank you for uh, going with me to Goofball Island. Now we're going to get to the heart of the matter. And Branson, I don't know if you've listened to our podcast, um, but the purpose of it is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everybody every day. And so we get we flesh it out, not just talk at it, not just talk in it, um, but we want to talk from the place of like, yeah, I'm living this out. So just to get have our listeners hear some of your story um, of just like how and when the gospel was first good news for you and how it it is now um, a brief version of your testimony, if you will, but with different words. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, you know, when I think about what the gospel is, it's one of those things where I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with that kind of background. And so you kind of hear it. And I think um, oftentimes it doesn't really sink in, or, or maybe even if you think it kind of has sunk in, uh, maybe it doesn't fully sink in. And so when I was thinking about this 
this question and, and kind of when it really hit me, um, you know, there was a point in the life of, of my family uh, where I grew up a pastor's kid uh, and uh, my parents' marriage uh, was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of the, ex- the experience of, like here I am, a goody two-shoes, pastor's kids, always, always done the right thing. Um, and so I'm sort of the, the insider in this world. Uh, and as, as my parents' marriage was falling apart and, you know, there's almost a sense of, um, especially from people in our church, like maybe we're not on the inside anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're, maybe we're out there. Maybe this isn't, you know, maybe we're not good enough, yeah. uh, for this. Uh, and that, I mean, cause being a pastor's kid growing up in the church, that that's kind of, I mean, that was my, my life and my faith. Um, and so at that point I, yeah, I went back to the gospels and I said, you know, I want to know who Jesus really is. Cause I don't know if, I don't know if this makes sense. Does this fit? Does this work? Should I go along with the, with kind of what I've been taught and told or, or what? Um, and it was, I think in just reading the gospels from the perspective of somebody who now kind of felt like they were on the outside, wow. uh, that the good news really resonated. Uh, and I understood you know, whether I'm the, the prodigal son running off or I'm the prodigal son who's at home kind of right. being good, yeah. uh, that I needed to, to really um, absorb God's grace for me in Jesus. And so that was, I mean, it's a painful time, a difficult time, but it was a time when, uh, at least for me, it, it became real in a way that it had never been real before. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, that's, uh, it actually reminds me of something an elder at our church said that um, God will never be like your your savior until you're in, in need of one. He will never be your provider until you need provision. And it sounds like, you know, in this time of, of you know, your world is shaking, you know, God's not going to be your foundation until your foundation is rocked mm-hmm. and you need something to stand on. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds like that was when he became that yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. Can I ask now that whole need thing? Like, so it, really, it sounds like that's when you realized your need for him how do you now, like you're a pastor, you're a professor, you got kids, like on the outside, I mean, you, you have a famous person's name. Yeah, like, yeah that's right. Your life I seems, name. I know, you're a Hollywood star. How do you still need Jesus? How is the gospel still good news? Yeah, I mean, so I think about this in terms of, um, especially in terms of life with my family. Like I was just, as I was thinking about this question, having a talk with uh, my oldest, who's actually nine, I think I said eight, I I have five kids, so keeping everyone's uh, exact ages, it's, it's, yeah, it's up in the air. Um, But I think, you know, this is the, for me, the challenge of living with anybody at close quarters, like that forces me to the gospel. Uh, Because, you know, when I think about um, marriage or think about my experience, experience with my kids, um, you know, I get annoyed with my kids. I get sick and tired of my kids. uh, Mm. And... To, to think about, I mean, to every day put the cross of Jesus in front of me so that when I'm uh, sort of tempted to be like, man, I'm just annoyed with you guys, yeah. uh, that I can go back and say, okay, um, does Jesus have the right to be annoyed with me? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, for a valid reason. Mm-hmm. Why am I annoyed with you? But mostly because I want to do what I want to do. Um, I mean, to me, it's it's small, but it's big because it's this constant... Uh, kind of heart check, gut check of, um, am I fixed on the good news of Jesus so that I can live that out in these 
almost like minuscule, tiny interactions that I have mm-hmm. uh, with my wife, with my children in the kind of everyday mundane activities of life. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I think that's going to really lead well into the next pieces of our conversation. Cause I find I cannot talk about sexuality without talking about marriage. And I can't talk about marriage without talking about the church and what you just said, like applies in all areas in marriage and in sexuality and in the church. And so I think that was extremely helpful and practical. So I guess as we shift more into specifically the marriage and sexuality conversation, Matt and I have been really open just about like where we've been at. We've been walking through Francis and Lisa Chan's book on You and Me Forever. And it's really, and and Steve along with us, it's really rocked all of us in a lot of ways. And just being like, oh my word, what's the purpose of life? It's to make disciples. What's the purpose of marriage? Like demonstrate the gospel and make disciples. Um, but I, I know I grew up in an era where it was like really like, it was like there was this war on marriage. It felt like we all had to like hunker down. There's stats coming out about divorce and we're all focused on the family in a lot of ways. And like how, I guess like how did we, you know, what were some pieces we did well in those, that season? What did we not do well? Yeah, I think for me, you know, it it is interesting to think about and not to pick on, but to say, you know, think about a phrase like focus on the family. Yeah. Uh, I think of it a little bit like, when somebody says focus on happiness, hmm. what's interesting, I think, is that happiness is often a byproduct of focusing on something uh, that, that's bigger, that, that's more meaningful than right. just my own happiness. Hmm. And so it's not that you shouldn't want, you know, your, your marriage, your family to be strong, to be, to be healthy. Right. Uh, but I think what that misses is, you know, what Jesus says is seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah. And all these things will be added to you. And so mm. I think w- when we make our marriages or our families the be-all and end-all, yeah. uh, you know, the irony is they can't actually bear that weight. Mm. Mm. Uh, and so without this kind of focus on the cross of Jesus and and what he's done for us and, and living in light of his resurrection power, um, I think our families are in trouble. And yeah. so there's... I get wanting to respond to the breakdown of the family and, oh, and, and thinking about, you know, what can we do to equip and support marriages and families? But I think that has to be just like happiness has to be a byproduct of something else. Um, strong family, strong marriages are a byproduct of seeking first the kingdom. Mm. Well, I mean, it just it makes me think of, um, you know, when God calls himself the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, there are only, you know, two endpoints on this timeline and the family is not one of them. You know, God is the beginning and the end. And so ultimately he is the end place for, for you know, family can make you happy at times, but it can also make you annoyed at times, yeah. <laughs> you know, but if we focus on really the, the end points, then, well, as he says, everything else will be added. The, everything in the middle of that mm. um, is something that we can be blessed with, but it doesn't become our final destination. Yeah. I love it. And I love this. What Anyway, everything you're saying, I just need to reflect on it. And it's not that we're picking on Focus on the Family, which is a ministry, but it's it's really, and I've, I've really appreciated um, a lot of their 
change in trajectory. It sounds more like what we're saying now. Recently, I, I listened to it. I've like cried through some of their podcasts and stuff. But I feel like a lot of even what Jim Daly is doing is is moving them toward this more holistic, gospel-centered approach. Like they had Francis and Lisa Chan on there to talk about their marriage and about that book that we've been going through. And I was just laid out. I was really appreciative. But I love what you're saying, how it's a byproduct. And that's, I think, been a big theme in going through this book is we're like, oh my word, if our marriage is busted, what if we focus on the mission to make disciples? And, and that bonds you kind of like going on a mission trip. You don't even necessarily have to focus on let's do team unity exercise. You can do some of that, but it's like, no, we're doing this together. And all of a sudden you're best friends in a week. Yeah. Historically, I think part of what has made people stick together in marriage is a shared sense of work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like people throughout history, people have actually needed each other mm -hmm. to survive. Yeah. And so when you have a shared mission, it actually makes marriages survive because even, you know, I'm not just thinking how, what am I getting out of this or what's, uh, what's in it for me, uh, but we have shared work. And so I think for Christians, even in our culture where maybe we don't strictly speaking need yeah. uh, a spouse in the same way, yeah. if we want our marriages to survive, it has to be focused on on mission, on the, on the work that God has set before us. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to talk then about, or have you talk about, so what is the purpose of marriage? And then um, how does that fit into the bigger picture of like the, the church? So I'd love to talk about that. And then I, I want to even shift to, okay, why did God make us sexual beings? Why is that a part of marriage? And what about single people? So these are all the questions lingering in my head. So what, what's the purpose of marriage? Uh, I think about this in terms of the biblical trajectory and kind of what you see unfold um, from Genesis to Revelation. And it's interesting to me that, that Scripture starts with this marriage uh, and it actually ends with this marriage supper. Yeah. Uh, and so there's this, there, you know, marriage in some ways is, is pretty important because it's this, this bookend um, to all of Scripture. Uh, but I think part of what you see at the beginning is there's this clear sense that um, marriage is meant to be a state of... If I, I'm probably going to sound like theological and philosophical and nerdy with my lingo. Just go um, for it. But, you know, it's a, it's a, what older theologians would say, a state of mutual help, that there's a sense of companionship, uh, that there's a sense of um, friendship even in this, uh, that, I mean, if you look at Genesis, I think it's actually pretty clear that uh, one of the purposes of marriage is, is actually kids, mm -hmm. uh, that this is um, sort of God's means uh, by which the human race continues and life continues. Uh, and I think there's something deep in that I'll uh, maybe get to in a, in a minute. But I think as then scripture continues to unfold, what you see, uh, especially Paul in Ephesians 5 picks up on this and talks about how um, marriage is actually this picture of Christ and the church Yeah. Uh, in, in a way that I think is just, it's actually mind-blowing. Maybe we're too familiar with it that we kind of don't get it. Hmm. Um, but you know, all throughout the Old Testament, God gives uh, different people and, and events that point ahead to Jesus. And so you know, you've got David, the shepherd king, or the, uh, the, the near sacrifice of, of Isaac, mm -hmm. or all these stories um, that I think make sense of why Jesus in Luke 24, 44 says, this is all pointing to me. Like this is a, recognize this is all these things center on me. And so part of what Paul's saying in Ephesians 5 is that um, marriage uh, is meant to be that this picture that, that's woven into our biology, that's woven into our culture, our societies, uh, that uh, when done well, is this picture of Christ and the church, that, that there's a sense of 
love and self-giving and faithfulness and fruitfulness uh, that are all these amazing pictures of uh, this relationship between Jesus and the church. Uh, and so that, you know, you can just see these different layers as the biblical story goes along that, that, that build on each other yeah. and that, that are interwoven. And so I think, there's, uh, I think there's a lot of richness there when we're thinking about the purpose and meaning of marriage. But why do you get flipped upside down? Like to borrow Will Smith, uh, the why does it seem like marriage is the number one thing like that we focus on in in churches? And maybe it's just my own messed upness, but it seems like that's the pinnacle of relationship. That's the pinnacle of um, like you, you, again, this whole focusing on the family. Like it's that is where the gospel happens. We got to make sure that these are strong. And instead of like you just said, it's Christ in the church, and then marriage is a reflection of that. Why are we not more focused on this whole Christ in the church oneness than on this marriage oneness? Does that, or, or, or at least equally so? Does that make sense? Like, I don't see the oneness, this ethereal, you know, church, this one thing happening in the church, but maybe, maybe it's just me. Yeah. So I think, I mean, when I look at that, I think part of that is because, because marriage is so good. Yeah. Because sex is so good. Yeah. Because children are so good. Um, they're almost more easily and more powerfully distorted into an idol when we when when we mis misplace our priorities, mm-hmm. huh. uh, and so it's it's almost like um, you know I think C.S. Lewis something says something like um, you know it's not a it's not a rebellious gnat that becomes Satan it's a rebellious archangel something that's so so good mm-hmm. um, can can go so wrong yeah. a- and so but that's why I think we have to be careful that even as we think about how we idolize that, yeah. that the point is not to bash it, right? but the point is to say, this is something that's really good, it, it, but we have to be really careful because it is so good yeah. mm-hmm. that we kind of stop there. And, and instead of saying, man, this is this awesome sign and pointer to the reality right. of Jesus in the church, we kind of take it as an end in itself instead right. of as the sign. Well, I like even how your posture just shifted as you were saying that you went from like number one way up high to like a little bit lower. And I was like, oh, that's actually a really nice visual for me because it. I think it has been the opposite. And the reason I think I can be so passionate, we can be so passionate is when I talk to my LGBT friends who are like, I am not going to get married. Like I am not going to be attracted to this, to the opposite gender. I hear you. But it's like, all I hear is this family worship. And here I am sitting in the church and I'm solo and I'm forever solo. Like how, how, in your mind, Branson, like how how can LGBT people or single people who are like, I'm called a singleness, like how can we be more inclusive in this this marriage metaphor, in this church metaphor? Yeah. So I I mean I do think like you're saying, there's this real sense, you know, I, I think the number one thing that Christians can do when we when we think about marriage, sexuality, singleness is really to recapture who we're called to be as the church. Yeah. Like in my mind, at least, I see this as as the number one thing that we're called to do. Because, I mean, if you read the New Testament, uh, Jesus says some things that are not really so family friendly. Right. Uh, that in fact, he's saying uh, your family is very much relativized by the kingdom of God. And so, he's not saying leave your biological family, abandon your marriages, but but he's saying. Uh, what has to happen is is I'm building this new people. I'm I'm constructing this new family. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, I think you see this really strongly in the Gospel of John. Uh, I actually think there's echoes of Genesis here. Jesus is on the cross, uh, and he says, uh, "You know, woman, behold your son." Uh, 
uh, and son, behold your mother, that, uh, you know, that's actually, I think, an echo of the Genesis story, Mm. not in terms of, you know, a sexual relationship, but in terms of saying, you are now a family. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's actually why in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul can say, hey, look, uh, it's actually preferable to be single. Uh, and a lot of Protestants, you know, kind of block that out of their yeah. vision for a variety yeah. of reasons, include, you know, including maybe a reaction against some forms of Roman Catholicism or something. But I think we, we've totally gone the other way and flipped it, you know, to make marriage the be all and end all. Yeah. But Paul can say that. He, he can say, um, stay single, yeah. if at all possible. Right? We have to realize in that world, uh, there is no social security. Your, your right. family is your social security. Your family yeah. is. So how can he possibly tell widows, mm. uh, don't really worry about getting remarried? Yeah. Um, he can only say that because the church is functioning like this family. I love it because what you're naming is really like what we find whenever we go and speak in churches. And I'm like, this isn't even just an LGBT conversation. This is a church. We... The LGBT conversation forces us to take a mirror and look at our churches and be like, whoa, are we operating as a family? Like, are we actually being inclusive and and taking care of widows and not just throwing some alms to the poor in the tithing basket? But like, are we inviting people into our homes and our dinner tables? So I love that you just called that out. Okay, so about sex and sexuality. Um why did God make us sexual beings? Like I've heard this phrase and I really appreciate it from Dr. Julie Slattery that just like our, the gospel is written on our bodies. But what's what's that mean? <laughs> and why are we sexual beings? And if so, like, okay, Paul's like, okay, be single. It, it, I talk to single people and they're like, oh, I'm going to die, you know, without sex. I just have to live this fruitless life. So Why? Please answer that really easy question. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> how much how much time do we have left? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so when I think about this question, uh, I mean, I think there are different uh, a few different things going on here. Th- that uh, so when I think about marriage yeah. and why God would you know what's the connection between sex and marriage? Uh, that you know I think God has created us uh, with a certain kind of. Um, you know, body language, if we can talk about sex in that way, mm-hmm. that that sex actually says something. And I think we get that, you know, with other body language, if I'm sitting here with my arms crossed or, uh, you know, your posture tells you something about um, what somebody's thinking or what they're doing. But I think Christians, I mean, part of the claim that we're making is like sex actually means something. It's, it's woven into our bodies that w- when I give myself totally and completely to another person, I'm not just giving my body to them, but this is, I am, I'm saying I give myself to you, yeah. you know, who I am as a whole person, not just my body uh, for one night uh, for the purposes of pleasure, but that, that if I think about sex and what it's supposed to mean, it is this commitment. It, it's, it's this promise of faithfulness. It's, um, you know, it's something that is this total self-giving. Yeah. And so, when I think about it in, in that light, uh, you know, this is where I think about the parallels again to Christ and the church, where, where Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Whoa. That this is not just, um, you know, the way that God communicates his love to us, uh, amazingly, is not just through this kind of intellectual message mm. uh, that, that bounces uh, off of us, so to speak, but it's, he communicates his, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and, and gives us 
himself. And so, and even when I think about the Lord's Supper or communion, we hear these words, Mm. you know, this is a, this is a physical, material, tactile communication of God's love Mm. uh, and faithfulness to us. Uh, And so in that way, you know, when I think about, you know, sex and marriage, in some ways, you know, sexual union is saying with my body, what I said in my uh, marriage vows to my wife. Uh, in different ways. And so, again, I think there are multiple layers of how these things um, intersect and and there's a rich theological meaning uh, to this physical act. I have never thought about the Lord's Mm. Supper like that Mm -mm. in conjunction to sex and like, and his death, like his body died and was broken for you. And then every, wow, I just need to think about that for a while. Yeah, there's an interesting... um, uh, in Graham Greene's book, The End of the Affair, he kind of makes this point at, at, at one point in the novel, this question is raised. Could we, could we really get God's love if you didn't have the body of Jesus? Mm. Like that, that, and that's, that's who we are. I mean, mm-hmm. John Calvin says this is why God communicates to us through things like baptism and the Lord's Supper, because it's, it sinks in. Um, literally, if you're yeah. talking immersion, you know, th- this, this sinks in, <laughs> in a different way because we are embodied creatures. We're not, right. we're not just, mm-hmm. you know, brains, yeah. minds wandering around. Right. Uh, and so, you know, what we, bodies matter, mm-hmm. matter yes. matters. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, okay. So what about single people? So they're listening. What, what, what are they supposed to do? And again, this is a gigantic question, but what are they do supposed to do with their sexualities? If, if the communion is an example of sexuality. Like, I don't, how does that relate to single people? Yeah, that's a, I mean, I think it's a big question because oftentimes you do, like you said, people end up feeling on the outside. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of that clip from my big fat Greek wedding Yeah. when the, when the dad's kind of explaining, like maybe his daughter doesn't even really want to get married mm-hmm. uh, and, and his brother and you know, they're all crossing themselves multiple times. Cause just to, <laughs> just the mere mention of that is like, how, how can you say that or do that? Yeah. I do think it's important that, that we emphasize whether people are married or single, what everyone needs uh, is a healing of our broken sexuality. Yeah. And so it's, it's not just that, you know, marriage is this proper outlet for lust. Hmm. It's that lust is something that needs to be killed across the board, that, that lust is something that looks at other people uh, and just says, how can I use them? Yeah. Sorry, I got I got to pre- press pause on that yeah. because literally that when I struggled with pornography as as a teenager, when I went to like youth pastors or talked to mentors or whatever, that was almost verbatim what they would say is just hold off until you're married, then mm. you will have an outlet for that. And so like you're saying, marriage is not just the proper outlet for lust. And, and I feel like that's something that I've been learning over the past year as me and Lori have walked through stuff that lust, lust is a consuming thing, almost like an, I will use you as an object. Um, and can know, be and, done in marriage. And can be done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, it can be. And I was doing it in marriage, like even, even, and that's what God really taught me is after I was like no longer looking at pornography and I'm feeling good about myself. And he's like, hold the phone. We got to work on some stuff here still. Um, and so, yeah, that, sorry. I just like me and Steve yeah. Yeah. looked at yeah. each other and I was like, whoa. Yeah. That just really, really helps me to capture what I've been trying to say to people, guys that I know, 
my own sons. Um, I mean, that's just huge uh, to have that category of thought uh, going into marriage or even when you find yourself in marriage and mm-hmm. still frustrated, struggling, you know, that this isn't just like a way to sanctify this stuff I've got inside me. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, only well, Jesus can do that. My, yeah, even my yeah. marriage can't do that. Yeah. Well, and then we wonder why LGBT people are screaming for marriage. They're or, like, or single, I, right, or people, single general, people. Yeah. But I'm, I'm saying specifically, like, why would they not fight for the same rights to be able to, like, I'm feeling this too. Mm. You're feeling that love is love, which I know that's, there's a whole other element. But if, if we, if we're operating in this self-centered sex is for me, how can we hold other people to this higher standard when we ourselves are not holding ourselves mm-hmm. to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is where even our, our language is so important that we have, instead of talking about proper sexual desire, good sexual desire, the way that God has made us as human beings, um, right. That, that includes sex and sexual desire, but that's different from lust, Yes, which is this sinful pattern of using somebody else. Um, somebody, I can't remember who said, you know, lust is a party for one, yeah. even in marriage, even in, yeah. even, even in, in marriage. sexual That's, intercourse yes. in marriage, because yeah. if it's about you, like Matt, you always say that people can use first Corinthians seven. No, your body is mine. Don't withhold from me, which is not exactly what you were talking about, Branson, which is this, I give myself to you, which is really what's mm-hmm. articulated in Ephesians five. Well, in first Corinthians seven says, do not withhold yourself from yeah. one another. It's not husbands, make sure your wives don't withhold themselves or yeah. wives, make right. sure your husbands don't withhold themselves. It's yeah. no, don't withhold yourself Give from off, one another. Off your body as a living sacrifice. And, and and so this is where to kind of bring it back to the question of for, for single people and, and what this means, if we recognize that, that our sexuality and even that marriage is meant to be a sign and pointer to the reality of Christ in the church, you know, in some ways, we're not saying you have to get married to do that. We're saying that marriage is one avenue for this self-giving love like Jesus gave himself for us. Uh, but it's not the only avenue. You can you can give yourself yeah. uh, in a variety of ways. And that actually, I think this is where we, you know, we actually make too much out of sex. Like, yes. man, if, you, if, if you're not having sex, you're really missing out on like this you know, sort of the pinnacle of human experience. Uh, And then that creates whole, whole other problems in our marriages when people realize, you know, it's, it's difficult, uh, that, that it's not just this easy, fun, happy, pleasurable road all the time. Um, And so, so this is where, you know, for, for, for single people, I mean, I think this is what Paul is doing again in first Corinthians seven. He's saying single people are, are in some ways specifically freed from the obligations of their family. Not that not the families and marriages are bad, but he's saying, look, they have a certain level of focus and energy that they can place on the kingdom of God, um, which, by the way, is totally different from our culture's idea of singleness, which is you're free to do whatever you want. Right. He's saying you're, you're free to be focused in this special way on the mission. And in that way, single people are a sign and pointer to married people that this is not about your marriage, ultimately, mm-hmm. that this is about the kingdom of God. Um but I th- and I think you can flip this the other way and say, um, married people like me with my five kids and, and now nearly ten consecutive years of changing diapers um, <laughs> are a sign to single people that you're obligated to this mission. Like yeah. you're not just free to do what you want, as I yeah. said a minute yeah. ago. But that this is for something. You're 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 called to serve. Mm. Um, and so you know, I think to me that's really powerful. 
Uh, yeah. We're just like yeah. all looking at each other with our mouths open. Like, oh, this is what we've been wrestling with this yeah. whole book. Well, and you, you said something earlier that marriage used to be a, a mutual, like, I don't know if you called it a need, a mutual, like we will help one another. You know, I need you, you need me. And when we talk about married people and single people within the church, that same thing is happening. We need single people to show us how to live. We need married people to show us how Mm -hmm. to live. Like a bunch of, you know, a singles group or a marrieds group is is automatically losing something in in that isolation. Mm. Yeah. You know, because we need to be reminded that, oh, hey, this is for the purpose of of God and we we have a mission and it's not our marriage and it's not our singleness and ourselves. And it's, it's all focused on him. Yeah. And and I think that this means, you know, to say yes to that vision means that we're going to have to say no to some other things. And I think this is, this is what Jesus in Mark 10, when his disciples are like, Lord, we've followed you, you know, what's in it for us. And he says, he basically says, you've, you know, you've given up your biological families is one of the things that he lists and he says, but but you're going to receive a hundredfold, not just in the next life, but in this life. Mm-hmm. And so to me, this he is saying there's a no that you do, you may have to say to a certain view of your biological family. Uh, but he said, you know, what you're going to get is this family that's even deeper uh, and richer. And so how great if our biological families actually get this, right? then our marriages and families become a place of, of, of training people to see this beyond. And I think like you're saying, our families can't do this unless we are engaging, you know, as married and single people together. That's what's going to help people catch the vision, I think. Oh my word. I have so much to think on. This was yeah. super clarifying. We need to have you back on to talk more. I know I have more questions, but I think this is a good place to end for now. I personally feel more exhorted to go and be and do church like be it not just go and go home but like Mm. how can we have it immerse it be more immersed in this thing called oneness in the body of christ so thank you so much branson um Mm -hmm. if people want to find you where's where can they go yeah i guess you can you can find me i'm on twitter yeah, Is that a, a, a at, just at Branson Parlor. Yep. Uh, or I have a website, BransonParlor.com. You can go there. I, I blog there. I do some other videos and a few other things there. So if, if people are interested and want to check it out, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd love if you guys have questions, you stump the prof or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It sounds sounds good. <laughs> yeah, but we'd love to have you back on again. So I'm sure we will do that. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Our question of the week for next week, which hopefully it won't end up in Goofball Island or I don't know. <laughs> but what were your perceptions of marriage and family growing up and how? How does that differ now, perhaps as a result of maybe this conversation or a result of reading this book, which BT dubs, Matt and I have VIP tickets to go see Francis Chan to meet him in person. And so I will get my Fran Chan face tat and meet him and get a, a restraining order. Don't worry about it. But I'm sorry, Steve. I wish That's we could okay. bring you along. I, I could send some remote recording equipment with you I know, I'm and like you seriously could just like do about that. a like on location podcast. Okay. With Francis. I keep calling him Fran Chan. I need I to actually call him Francis Chan, probably doctor times a thousand or something. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. We'll talk about that huh? anyway. Um, but we're going to finish up the book next week. We're doing chapters six and seven. So we're going to be talking about children uh, and we're going to be talking more about the mission. So thanks so much for listening and for all of us here at the whole in my heart podcast. And thank you, Branson Parlor. We will see you, not you, Branson, but another time we'll see you next week. Bye.
Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Uh, We hope it has been another reminder that the gospel really is good news for everybody every day. Hey, would you tell a friend about uh, the Hole in My Heart podcast? Uh, Tell them they can find it in Google Play, in the TuneIn app, and of course, Apple Podcasts. If if you don't want to miss an episode, really uh, suggest that you subscribe in Apple Podcasts. And remember, your positive ratings and reviews will help us reach more listeners. And of course, you can follow Lori at himhministries.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you.